Working as an FBI special agent was my dream job. My whistleblowing was apolitical and in the spirit of upholding my oath. Nonetheless, the FBI cynically elected to close ranks and attack the messenger. The FBI will crush you. This government will crush you and your family if you try to expose the truth about things that they are doing that are wrong. We are all examples of that. Joining us now are Steve Friend and Garrett O'Boyle. Thanks for joining us, fellas. FBI whistleblowers Steve Friend and Garrett O'Boyle both join us now. Gentlemen, so glad to have you on the program. Thank you for your testimony. We need more folks like you, and I'm sure more people are going to be from your background are going to be giving you guys more intel as you're sharing that with the rest of us. We can kind of see that this is becoming normal for them to be held accountable because I think especially an institution that we pay their salaries, they need to be held accountable. I think a lot of people do share our, our beliefs and convictions. I think they just aren't at the point that Steve and I and others have gotten to. They're too afraid. are in short supply. Reject the noise, ask bold questions, and pursue the truth. With FBI whistleblowers and founding suspendables, Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. This is the American Radicals Podcast. It is the American Radicals Podcast. Better late than never, folks. We've been with you in the chat for a few minutes now. I know you guys are riled up, probably not quite as riled up as my friend and partner at GOB Actual. Garrett's uh, fresh off a visit to the VA. we got to get into that in a minute. I do want to set the stage for what we're going to be doing today because today we're talking about something that I think is really uh, close to both our hearts, and that is the absolute cowardice that we are witnessing from people who are allegedly in charge of things and, and the way that uh, there's a now an attack afoot against freedom of worship in this country. Both of those things I know we get extremely passionate about, but I'm happy. I'm happy to have my friend, partner in crime, Garrett back from his trip. Uh, we were going to talk about that, but I'd rather get you fired up. So uh, why don't you tell the folks what happened this morning? Oh, well, it's good to be back. It's especially good to be away from the VA. And I will say uh, the people I encountered at the VA today, the the workers there, they they were they were good which is not always the case. Uh, oftentimes they are not very good, but they were kind. They tried to be as helpful as they could. Um, but the VA man is just the machine. It's a bureaucratic machine. And this actually goes back to, I don't know, maybe a week, at least a week ago, I had uh, an appointment with my primary care physician there. And that basically just resulted in a bunch of other appointments to go and see other people and specialties and whatever. And so as anybody who has ever dealt with the VA knows, the phone calls calls ensued over the next week and trying to, if you missed a call, good luck, because then you call back and you deal with a scheduler and they try to put you in touch with the clinic that tried to call you to schedule in the first place. And uh, it's a it's a real S show, to be honest, to try to get these appointments scheduled. And then by the time I finally was starting to get something scheduled, um, I had appointments scheduled today and tomorrow. And it was like pulling teeth to, to try to get them both scheduled on the same day. It was a near impossibility, they told me. And it, it turned out to just be um, they didn't want to do it is what I think. I'm sure uh, 
both of the appointments could have been moved to a different day, which I said that that would work, but I just think the people didn't really want to do their job. And so they just said, you're going to just have to go both days. And it's like, okay, fine. And you know, I need to get these appointments over and done with. And then today my appointment was supposed to be at eight 30 my time. And I thought, oh yeah, there's, there's no way it takes until, you know, 11 for me to be done and, and back home and ready to go for the podcast. But as we all know, uh, it, it did take longer than that, but Hey, whatever, at least I was able to get these appointments done and thank you everybody for, for hanging with us in the live chat. And while, you know, while you all waited for me to return from the VA where I was for about three hours for, and I don't even really know what, what was accomplished to be honest. So your takeaway is that, uh, we're from the government and we're here to help <laughs> is probably not accurate as our secretary of education thinks it is but you did have the added benefit of just being able to scroll your phone for news stories That's and uh, sent this over which i thought was actually pretty uh pretty consistent with the message that we wanted to put out today again we're, we're calling the show the uh, the courage of your conviction and uh it was is the first thing i want to talk about here and it's it's very appropriate and this was uh you i'll let you get into it the title is supreme court vacates ruling restricting the president's right to issue federal workforce mandates um and I, I think that probably pertains to something about uh, Executive Order 14043, which was the mandate to uh, to vaccinate all federal workers against the coronavirus. Uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on this? And, and why did you feel that it was going to be appropriate for the AMRAD podcast to open with today? Yeah, I thought this one was appropriate because it really shows the cowardice and it shows the broken system that we have. We have allegedly three branches of government that are supposed to have equal power, the executive, the legislative and the judicial. In this case, the top court in the land, the Supreme Court decided that a lawsuit, which Kyle and I are a part of, uh, it, it goes back to when the, the uh, executive order was first established and fast forward to October, maybe November, the lawsuit was filed by Feds for Med Freedom. And Kyle and I both were named in that lawsuit and fast forward a little bit more eventually a fifth circuit judge says hey there's a nationwide injunction on this mandate the executive the supreme executive in the land does not have the authority or power to tell people what they can or can't put in their bodies and so there was this nationwide injunction pretty much since january of 2022 and what I guess the the reason it stands out even more for me is because of the the cowards even by the people who are quote unquote on our side so when i think back to those days when i first was like a new member to feds for med freedom they were like hey try to get people to join i knew a number of unvaccinated people and i asked all the people i knew personally it was about five people uh one or two whom I went to Quantico with, the rest were in my division. And I said, hey, jump in this lawsuit. It's like 350 bucks. If they win, you got to pay another 650 or something like that to get the, the, the grand total to $1,000. And every single one said, no, I'm not going to do that. And it's like, what do you mean? You're not going to spend $350 to try to fight this? Like, this is the next step. Like, your religious exemption... You're not going to win that. I mean, I think mine is still being held in limbo. And all these people who, quote unquote, are in the fight just decided to not really be in the fight. And it's like, OK, well, now now 
it's been it's been repealed essentially by the Supreme Court. They basically vacated the injunction and said, ah, oh, the, the the point is moot because because there was a, a follow on executive order. This was last spring. I forget the number. I wrote about it in my sub stack at one point, but um, where President Biden said, hey, here's a new executive order that's that's uh, changing the terms of executive order 14043. And hey, uh, you, you actually don't have to get vaccinated anymore. So it took them about 18 months and they came out with this new executive order. And now that it hit the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court basically has left the door open for a president to someday again dictate what you do or don't put in your body at the risk of being fired from your employment. You know, it's it's really gross because it's consistent with everything that the Biden administration uh, being chief amongst them uh, on this issue is they push something knowing that it's going to be either overturned or an injunction put in or deemed unconstitutional. But the damage that they can do or the impact that they can make will have already been done at this point. Well, that's great. You, uh, you, you now have withdrawn your executive order with another superseding executive order. Uh, how does that help the person who's got enough spike proteins going on in their body to make them look like the Michelin man at this point and the myocarditis that they're experiencing? These are permanent, irreversible changes. It's not, it's not some sort of policy where you, the dress code is changing. This is permanent. It's, it's like a tattoo on your face. And I think right. it's obviously going to be consistent with, I saw the CDC director come out and say, well, it's time to start wearing your masks again, folks. Got to put on your mask to keep your neighbors safe. And to which I say, I guess COVID-24 is going to be here and we're going to call it the election variant. Right. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> it's inbound. <laughs> it's inbound, you know, presently. And yeah, it just, man, it, it it's really disappointing, really frustrating with uh, the Supreme Court deciding to, to, to basically you know, do a juke move on this and not address the merits of the case. And then further, it's something we've all talked about. I think, I think maybe even on Friday, you and Kyle touched on it. Um, it's another example of the justice department being overly concerned with the outcome. So if, if they were actually concerned with the truth and with justice, wouldn't they want the judicial branch to rule one way or the other and say, Hey, you let us know because DOJ, as you know, is part of the executive branch. So if the executive oversteps his bounds, it's in the interest of the Justice Department to hear from the judicial branch and have them, you know, lay, you know, lay openly who's right. And, you know, if the Supreme Court was to decide in favor of the president, well, okay, then that would be the law of the land. And, and hopefully people would keep fighting. You know, it, it comes to mind um, Dobbs versus Jackson. It took decades and decades and decades for that to overturn Roe v. Wade. And so just because the Supreme Court rules at one point in one way, doesn't mean that it can't change somewhere down the line in the future. But in this case, they completely maneuvered away from it altogether, leaving the door open for any president in the future to say, hey, take this needle, stick it in your arm or else. And it's like, these are completely antithetical uh, positions for America. Like, you know, Kyle says it all the time, the America we grew up in would invade the America we live in. And I mean, that couldn't be further or that couldn't be closer to the truth today because it's like, what are we doing, man? Land of the free? Uh, I don't think so. I, I, uh, I remind, you know, the, uh, the failure here by, 
the Supreme Court, this shirking of the responsibility. It's just basically a punt. It's a yeah. punt on something that I would argue, and I think you would agree, is pretty evil that's coming from the executive branch. And the fact that they won't weigh in on that is them shirking their responsibility as an allegedly co-equal branch of government. Uh, and I mean, I, they, they need to weigh in on this. And I guess apparently settled law, the law of the land only applies if it comes from the left. If it's from the right, it's always negotiable or we can't take that up. We don't, there's no standing here. They won't, they won't actually exercise the power that they've been given from these lifelong appointments that they have where allegedly it's supposed to be a, what, a six to three conservative majority in the Supreme Court. Not true in, in essence here because they're refusing to actually weigh in or at least they are by reversing this, this injunction, they've un, undone what they did um, that was, I think, a fairly solid ruling in the first place. And, and to transition this, so we have, a, we have an evil action on the executive branch, then we have a shirking of, of cowardice on the judicial branch. Well, let's, let's just go three for three here. Let's go over the legislative branch. And uh, that's why when you threw this story at me, I thought it was, well, that's, that's parallel to what I saw. And that is with the FISA, FISA renewal, FISA right. Section 702, Speaker of the House, uh, who's we've been told is a is a good God fearing man with the uh, the biblical worldview, and he's one of ours. He's he's a Christian nationalist, which we'll get to later, folks. <laughs> uh, and they have now delayed. It looks like that they're going to punt. They're going to use the the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, to give an extension of FISA into April. At that point, they'll take it up again. And I can't help but think that they swore an oath that was very similar to the one that I know you swore as a, a member of the military and then later as an FBI agent. I did the same as an FBI agent to protect and defend the Constitution. And there's a pretty prominent portion of the Constitution that talks about uh, your being secure in your personal effects and your papers, uh, unlawful searches. And that is what Section 702 is being used for. And there's no secret. We're not, we're not hemming and hawing about that. That is what the federal government is using and abusing the tool 702 of FISA, which is supposed to be an intended for those who don't know. It's a counterintelligence tool. It's intended for you to be able to look at nefarious, potential nefarious and an evildoer foreign adversaries when they are not within the United States. But in effect, what's being used is when they have communications with an American, well, now you know who that American is and they can reverse target. So the 702 is being abused to reverse target Americans and actually spy on them. And then beyond the, the Fourth Amendment aspect to which the, you need to be secure in your effects and you can't have an unreasonable search, the reason that people are being targeted is because of their First Amendment, which is freedom of speech. They're doing first amendment protect activities. They're worshiping the way they want. They're gathering the way that they can. They can petition the way that they deal with. And the and the, actually the, the means in which the government is using it, it's beyond just the 702 tool at their disposal, but they're actually using technological tools that we have in our houses. They're using the devices that we use because when I lay the phone down on my head at night to charge and I have my, my alarm set there, well, it's got communication ability on there. What it functionally, what is the difference between that and you stationing a red coat in the room adjacent to me with his, a glass up to his ear and he's listening on the wall as I have a conversation with my wife? It's a quartering of soldiers violation. So now I would argue that we have a violation of the first, the third, and the fourth, and it's being used as a due process violation against people as they're being persecuted and prosecuted. 
So we're, we're up to four amendments that are being violated. And now the legislative branch is just going to punt on that when it's their responsibility to uphold and protect and defend the Bill of Rights. Exactly. And this this goes directly to the show title, Courage of Conviction. You just said it. It's their responsibility to address these issues, and they aren't. And it's the responsibility of all three of these branches of government to work together, uh, or or even not even necessarily together, to do what is mandated constitutionally for that specific branch of government. And then when one of the other branches of government intervenes or intercedes for a reason that they're mandated to, that is a proper functioning of our system, or it's supposed to be. But in this case, they punt, they pontificate, they bloviate, and they don't really address the issues. The 702 issue, for me, it's analogous to the legislators who all voted in favor of providing a new headquarters to the FBI. All of these things go hand in hand, and it's like, when is enough enough? You know, like, it just, it, it's so frustrating for, for people who've followed me. Um, they probably, you, you're probably going to have to be going back in the annals, uh, but maybe even before I was uh, public, I don't remember, but I'm big on the definition of tyranny. It's an arbitrary or unrestrained exercise of power or despotic abuse of authority. And so whether it's an executive order 18 months after the first executive order mandating that you get the shot, it's the judicial branch not addressing the merits of this lawsuit. It's the legislative branch branch punting on 702 or voting in favor of a new FBI headquarters, even though in 2021 alone, there were over 3 million instances of them abusing 702 itself. This is tyranny, folks. And plain and simple by the definition of the word. I know in 2023, uh, words have kind of lost their meaning. Like what's a woman? No one seems to know unless you hold to a biblical worldview where it lays it out for you right there in the first chapter of the book of Genesis, I think in verse 27, it's, it says plain as day what they are, but um, I don't know, for me, words still have meaning and, and tyranny is one that has had the most meaning in my life over the past 18 months or so, probably longer, actually, if we go back to uh, the early days of that first executive order mandating, we get the, we get the juice. Well, on the American Radicals podcast, we can define what is a woman and what <laughs> is tyranny. And we can also define what is a suspendable. How do you like that? How do you like, like that it. transition? <laughs> uh, which is why uh, we want to break away before we transition to the next thing and make sure that uh, you've been out of work here for a couple of days. we got to get uh, caught up on, on the family yep. sweatshop. Why don't you tell uh, everybody what they, what they can order uh, at the dash suspendables.com. Yeah. So, uh, we are a little bit behind when we left for North Dakota, there were about five orders, you know, flapping in the wind. And most of those are almost ready to go, you know, sands, maybe like a hat that needs a patch stitched or something of that nature. But, but everything, um, if I, if I'm recalling correctly, everything is in stock right now. We've got the suspendable or die shirt, the Z special, the lapel pins, the Ranger panties, the last line shirts. We got the blue line, the red line, the green line, all available. Uh, the PT shirt. I think there's a couple Black Ops bundles left uh, because I used the last of the patches for black hats and uh, black multicam hats. Uh, so if, if you're interested in, in either of those things, there's a, a 
couple left of each of those. I think the sticker pack, yeah, sticker pack is sold out. You know what? I got a couple of the stickers for the next sticker pack inbound. Can you pop me up on there, Steve? I'll try to yep. show them on the camera. So this will be this this classic suspendables badge will be in the next sticker pack. The uh, suspendable or die will be in the next sticker pack. I got the the night ops or the uh, the uh, yeah the night ops version of the last line coming in. I got an Amrad sticker and I got a last line sticker, but I don't have one by me. And then I'll throw in one or two uh from the previous pack that that i still have uh but a couple of those are gone so i got i got to get a new sticker pack up there so i'll, I'll work on that too terrific terrific we got uh, we got merch going uh and folks if you're in the chat and following along make sure you're following make sure you're liking the podcast uh, we transitioned from just a saturday show now we're going to tuesday thursday saturdays at noon uh this this week uh interview with uh, carrie pickett from the washington times and actually hoping to uh, sit down with the gentleman who I talked about a couple episodes ago. That's uh, Siaka Masakwai, who was the January 6th subject, who was arrested on the tarmac. So we're going to be bringing you some some interesting voices. It's not just going to be GOB, who's enraged after a visit to the VA, or uh, a real Steve friend who's just screaming into the wind about uh, Speaker Johnson. Uh, but, yeah, we appreciate you all sticking along with us, uh, giving us a like, giving us a follow. We're going to move on. Uh, to something that I know that uh, that Garrett will be super passionate about, and uh, and and this was is the the perception of of religious persecution that's going on. I think it's it's downstream from a couple different uh, issues that have have come to light here. There's there's a an animosity towards Christianity that we're seeing from our elected officials, from our celebrities and entertainment culture, and from our uh, scientific experts. So. Who remembers, I don't know, how old were you back in 2020 when we were told things like, you need to trust the science and, and trust the experts because the white lab coat is just like the, the robes of the clergy at this point. And we were introduced to a, a man uh, who was now infamous, who was just a little known doctor over at NIH. Uh, he's kind of like an elf who's now retired and worth millions of dollars. And that was the Dr. Fauci. Uh, who was giving us daily press updates, and he couldn't ma wait to make this the, uh, the the circuits around and talk to the Sunday talk shows. I I mean, I have to question who likes being on camera more, Jim Comey or Anthony Fauci. It it, it might be a struggle to come up with one there, uh, but I, th I think that uh, to set this conversation, who remembers this moment when Dr. Fauci was on Face the Nation? that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's gonna know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there, there's a face, there's a vice you can recognize, you see him on television, so it's easy to criticize. But they're really criticizing science because I represent science. In the name of the Galactic Senate of the Republic, you're under arrest, Chancellor. Are you threatening me, Master Jedi? The Senate will decide your fate. I am the Senate. Not. <laughs> I am the Senate. That's your first movie reference, by the way. Uh, I was, I was, a challenge was put on me today that we need to have at least six movie references. We'll go with Star Wars. That's number one. Uh, 
But this is absolutely idolatry. This is a guy who is worshiping himself because he's made the transition from my worship science. Well, I am the science. I'm going to worship myself. And before I let you uh, go off on that one, uh, Garrett, I, I want to bring in the second story here, which is actually from, from Catholic Vote and, uh, and, and relevant to, to Dr. Fauci. And this was something that we saw about a week ago. Dr. Fauci says practicing Catholicism is not a thing I need to do, which I'm not a Catholic. You're not a Catholic. Uh, you know, everybody has their own their own belief structure. But uh, I think that Dr. Fauci, who purports to and actually says that he is Catholic, uh, but uh, says that he doesn't do the uh, doesn't do the practicing thing because there's a number of complicated reasons. First of all, I think my own personal ethics on life are, I think, enough to keep me going on the right path. So we're back to idolatry again. I guess his word is more than the word. Garrett, ready, set, go. Oh, man, there's so much here. I think of a video I saw in the early days of COVID of Fauci. I think it was 60 Minutes where he's talking about, you don't need to wear a mask. The particles are too small anyways. And then this one where... Oh yeah, he is the science. He's he's the new lowercase G God. He's government and science, the the amalgamation of of today's Molech, as it were. And oh, it's just it's so disgusting to me to see. And then for him to uh turn his back on the faith and say, I don't need to practice Catholicism. I know what is right, I know what is better. Well. As you were talking about that and going through that Catholic vote uh, story, I thought of a piece of scripture that I did not plan to read today, but I'm going to now. And I hope you'll bear with me as I read Romans 3, starting in verse 9. The uh, subheading in my book it says, no one is righteous. And in verse 9, it says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And that, I would say, sums up what Anthony Fauci just said about his own personal ethic being all he needs to run and dictate his life. Because let's remember, if he's so great and holy and wonderful and powerful and mighty and glorious and good, why would he ever be okay with telling you to put something in your body that you don't want to put in? But he's done it anyways. He has. And, and look, it's, it's, it's not even a question of your, your faith level to me. It, it's just a lack of self-awareness that you have that, that you could actually come to that conclusion that, I mean, look, you're, look, you could just easily say, I'm just, I'm not a religious person. I'm, I'm a man of science. If, if you don't want to own the fact that you're an atheist, because you, you, you clearly are some sort of, of atheist or self-worship, then 
you can't be honest about it. And and we see this from not just Anthony Fauci. We see this from people like the president. We see this from uh, former Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. They can't wait to wrap themselves in the in the title of being, and in the case of all of these people, uh, being Catholic, but of being Christian and, and using the goodwill that that gives them, I guess, for political purposes, which is, to me, just disgusting. The, the, the lack of honesty here where they will look at you and say, well, I don't subscribe to any of the tenets of this religion, but I'm that religion. And then we get back to the the cowardice and, and, the, and the courage of your convictions. Where are the the clergy members? Where's where's the, the pope saying, uh, I have a problem with that. You're not allowed to take communion here. Where's the, the, the archdiocese saying the, the, you're not permitted to actually enter here until you have repented. And, and, and it's unique, obviously, to, to Catholicism. I think that the excommunications uh, need to continue until morale improves for, for the Catholic Church. But, you know, it, it's not even just simply, you know, limited to, to specifically to the Catholic Church. And all these politicians or government personnel who cloak themselves with this ideology or this, this notion that they are, in fact, practicing a certain religion, it's it's dishonesty and it's using religion for for reasons that uh, are not ultimately for their salvation that that really gets my goat the worst In oh man sorry i'm having a little technical difficulties over here yes it uh it gets my goat as well steve and i appreciate that turn of a phrase um and as for the clergy man this has been this has been part of my struggle and I, I think, I think actually it's been a struggle of many, many people really for me, I'm going to point to COVID is really when I started to be like, oh man, the church is in trouble in America. We, we have had it too good for too long, too easy for too long. What we have thought and considered as persecution in America doesn't even come close to what is likely coming. I, I think the writing is on the wall and the persecution that is headed to the church, um, it's its going to get real in America, and I think it's going to get real real soon. And in some ways it has. Um, when I was in North Dakota, I spoke, so there was a, a pastor there who, who prayed in the beginning of the event, and he came up to me afterwards, and we talked a little bit, and he was telling me about a, a pastor friend of his down in Louisiana who actually got arrested during COVID for keeping his church open. And I was like, man, how do I not know this story? Like, I pay attention to this stuff. And he was like, yeah, once he filed a lawsuit, it ended up going to the Louisiana Supreme Court and he he won. And, you know, he, he never should have been arrested uh, for keeping his church open in the first place. And there are other stories we can point to. There's a couple I know of in, in Canada. There's a pastor up there named James Coates, who I'm really fond of, uh, who, same thing, he ended up going to prison for I think I think about a month or over a month uh, for keeping his church open. Then there's a church out in California called Grace Community Church. Uh, the pastor there is a guy named John MacArthur and uh, his church, once they realize like, oh, this isn't the zombie death flu that we thought it was, um, they said, well, we're mandated as the body of Christ to keep our church open. And they did, and they got into litigation with Los Angeles and Los Angeles County. They ended up winning as well. And I think the church is really going through some growing pains. And the 
the chaff is being separated from the wheat in a lot of ways, which is a good thing because one thing that persecution does, even, even light, I would consider all of these things to be light or low level persecution at this point. We're not, we're not seeing Christians martyred in the streets yet or thrown to the lions uh, or blamed for burning down all of Rome, but um, it, it's, it's coming, but in a way it's good because it fortifies our faith and it, it helps show us if we have a true lasting faith or not. I, uh, to throw us back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, I just got this. I think it's probably a, a good revelation for, for the audience. Uh, it appears that this FISA renewal, this uh, delay at least, uh, to April is intended so that they are going to give it a full renewal for another year. So that's actually the intended to not, not to take us off what we're talking about, but I just had this come across to me uh, while you're talking. And I, and I thought that that was relevant to what we said before. So I guess we're losing all across the board here. Uh, sorry to be the bearers of bad news on that one, but I guess that the extension goes through till uh, mid-April, and they think that it's going to give them probably another week or so to hammer out how they're going to make it extend into uh, April 2025, where at which point there might be a different administration or whatever that they're they're saying, but they're just they're punting on that one too. Uh, but to get back to what we were talking about at hand, and coming off of Fauci, uh, and we talked about the uh, the Christian nationalism that uh, that's being represented in the media as being this this problem. And it's one of these innocuous phrases that uh, I think it means to whatever you want it to mean. And if you don't like Christians or you don't like conservatives, then you say that, oh, you're a Christian nationalist. That means you're a Nazi. And if you are a Christian or you are a conservative, you say like, oh, I like my nation and I'm a Christian. So that sounds good to me. So it's it's really a Rorschach test, test I think, for, for what your worldview is on it. Um, but the, I saw this movie preview that is, is coming out from Rob Reiner, who is, uh, you know, obviously a, a stalwart of the left. Uh, and let's let's give this. It's about two minutes long. Uh, this movie is coming out. It's obviously anti-Christian nationalism, as it's proposed, proposed to be. Um, and, and we'll watch this and, and see what, what your thoughts are on it, Garrett. America and Christianity are like baseball and apple pie, and we celebrate them together. I was 16, 17 years old when I became a Christian. I'm an evangelical minister. I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm a Christian nationalist. I have nothing to be ashamed of because that's what most Americans are. Is Christian nationalism Christian? Um, no, it isn't. We should be blazing forth as a countercultural example, and instead, we're leading the charge of malice and division. Christian nationalism uses Christianity as a means to an end, that end being some form of authoritarianism. Being a Christian is about the values of inclusion. Christian nationalism is certainly not based on the values of the gospel. God wants America to be saved. They're told over and over and over again that you're in danger. You need to fight if you don't want to lose your country. We are in a civil war between good and evil. This is not a movement about Christian values. This is about Christian power. What happens to the people who don't believe this stuff? We are on the precipice. God is on our side. We're taking our nation back. The thing that keeps me up at night is that we lose democracy. Does that seem possible? Yes. 
Christianity at its best is committed to love and truth and justice. If we do this right, what a country we will be. Okay. That, there's a lot there. There's a there lot is. there. <laughs> um, I, you know what? You've been gone for, for a few episodes. I'll let you take the first crack because there is a cornucopia that I can pull from. Garrett, go. Well, I'm going to start at the end. That guy said love and truth and justice. And he's right. That is what Christianity is about. Love and truth and justice. And, of course, the gospel of Christ and, and him being you know, the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, but part of that is love and truth and justice. And man, this whole Christian nationalism boogeyman that that is starting to rear its head. If you if you just look at kind of the timetable of when we started hearing about Christian nationalism, now there's a quote unquote documentary coming out just in time for election season to really pick up. To me, it's reminiscent of a CIA op, maybe maybe something to do with Operation Mockingbird to to say, okay. The boogeyman is coming out to play and it's it's cloaked in Christian nationalism. And it's man, it there really is so much there because you gotta pick one or you get overwhelmed. <laughs> and look, uh, I, I gotta I gotta follow through on a couple of things here. Um, I, I don't think that, that ranks up there with Citizen Kane uh or Godfather Part Two <laughs> or or even Debbie does Dallas. Let's let's just be honest. I don't think that the quality is going to be there. I really appreciate uh, seeing David French, who talked about how drag drag queen story hour is a blessing of liberty. You know, talk about uh, that's the source you go to, yeah. or we're going to go to the most absurd possible lengths we possibly can go to. We're going to connect everything to obviously to January sixth. January sixth is is the, just the Christians that were yeah. were, were there. Right. Like when they when they popped that up, I was like, oh, so. Now all the January Sixers are Christian nationalists too. When it's like most of the people I know who support Trump, they don't really hold fast to much of a much of a faith based system, or a lot of them at least don't. You know, they're agnostic, I mean, atheist, or you know, not their standard bearer. Standard bearer was talking about two Corinthians, right? Yeah, yeah. two Corinthians, <laughs> two, two Corinthians walk into a bar. Um, yeah, it's but. In that little clip, in just that trailer, man, they it's like, oh, they're packing it full of propaganda. Of course they are. I mean, I don't blame them. That's what they do. So, of course, that's what they're doing here. And if the calls for suspendables being Christian nationalists hasn't already begun, I'm sure it will henceforth uh, because we all um, are, you know, we all at least talk about our faith. And, you know, for me, I, on the heels of this North Dakota trip, that, that was the cornerstone of my speech was was focused on my faith and it's like okay uh let's let's hear the calls for christian nationalism and how the suspendables are that when it's like i can't wait to just start asking people please define the term because i bet most of them won't even be able to and it's like i i don't think you or me or kyle or most people are trying to force america to become christian i i know my personal belief and i think i can point to scripture to to help uh, enunciate that that belief and stance, America is not a Christian nation. If anything, we're a pagan nation, and anything is possible with God. I'll, I'll preface it that way. 
but I don't foresee America becoming a Christian nation. Certainly, it's not going to become one by force. And I don't think it is within the confines of Scripture to force our nation to become Christian. I don't I don't think that that is a gospel-centric message anyways. Uh, there's a certain element to it that's marketing that, that has always just struck me. Because, look, if, if you've followed politics or, or news and the right and left battling back and forth with each other, there's always this messaging war that happens. And the left is just consistently calling the right racist, bigot, sexist, homophobe, transphobe, Islamophobe, xenophobe. <laughs> on and on and on. But the biggest one is racist, right? That's that's the one that has been getting everybody, getting everybody's goat for a long time. And I think there's a lot of scar tissue built up around that term now. And they've now centered in on this Christian nationalist thing. And and obviously, the, it'll become easier later on to drop the, the suffix of that and just make it Christian. It, it won't be nationalist. And that'll be a line of attack, at least from a, a narrative standpoint. And, and that, that to me, again, is you're cloaking yourself or using the cloak of Christianity for political ends, which is, um, I, th I think should be out of bounds. It should be outside of the Overton window, but I guess in the, the times that we live in now, nothing is really outside of that. Um, which keeping on, uh, this, this persecution of Christians that we're seeing, we can go to the, use that as a, uh, jumping off point for another, another, uh, story I want to cover with you. And again, we're going to go back to back to the Twitters. This was uh, about a week ago from the, the senatorial hearing with Josh Hawley grilling down on Christopher Ray. Uh, I think this one uh, everybody saw, but I think to set ourselves up for a conversation, we'll we'll let him go for a minute here. This was definitely one of the more heated exchanges that we saw from Christopher Ray when he tested front in front of the Senate Judiciary hearing about a week ago. How many other parishes around the country? Have priests or choir directors been approached? By the way, are, are Catholic choirs now are, are they are they breeding grounds for domestic terrorism? Is this is this your latest theory? How many other parishes have FBI agents approached priests and choir directors to ask about parishioners? Look, Senator, we do not and will not conduct investigations based on anybody's exercise of their constitutionally. You have religion. done so, and your memo explicitly sure. asks for it. Your memo labels traditional Catholics as racially and ethnically motivated violent extremists in need of investigation. You have a list of churches, a list in the memo. You've repeatedly said we don't target churches, we don't list churches. They're listed in the memo. So how many other parishes have you gone to to talk to choir directors, for heaven's sake? As I've said... know the answer to that question. <laughs> no, I don't know the answer to that question. But I how many other... He doesn't know the answer to that question. Obviously not. Of course not. <laughs> you know, like, look, it, it was that that was one of the few good moments actually that came out of that that senatorial hearing. I mean, there was it was Schadenfreude in there. I don't think it was a productive hearing at all. I mean, what, what's going to actually come of it? Uh, but I, I do think that uh, that that was appreciated to, to bring that up. What I what I've actually would have preferred for Senator Hawley, to, we eventually said, has anyone been fired? For this and obviously christopher ray hemmed and hawed on that because he didn't want to say well no but, but we put a demerit in their file it's going to affect yeah. their performance file um I, I have said has anyone been prosecuted for that that's a civil rights violation yes. that's a color of law violation that's would seem to be the the actual appropriate uh, response to that but uh you, well i'll let you go up on that one well yeah that i mean that's the appropriate question here uh, for for any 
this is this is the thing that um I probably have a blind spot on sometimes because of my years in law enforcement. It's so commonsensical to me to be like, uh, you're asking the wrong question, Senator. The question you should be asking is what you just asked. Who's being prosecuted for this? And at a minimum, these people should be fired. But, oh, there's a demerit in their file. Oh, okay. Oh, you got them good, Chris. You got them real good. So you're not going to suspend their clearance even. You're not even going to take that step until they rectify their abuse of people's First Amendment right. You're, you won't do that, but, oh, we, we, we annotated it in their file. And he also mentioned something like, um, uh, you know, that demerit affects their bonus at the end of the year. So we're... We're only talking uh, GS 16s and or, or, or SESers and higher. So, what about the analysts who wrote it? What about the analyst supervisor? What about the CDC? They don't get bonuses at the end of the year. And the SAC, who's who over Richmond, when he was questioned about this, he didn't see anything wrong with it. So, it, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't buy it for a second that his bonus is actually going to be affected by this whatsoever. That that just isn't how it works. Because as we've talked about before, with IPM, you got your green, you got your red, you got your gold checks, and he's going to get enough gold and enough green, and probably no red, maybe one with this with this memo because it received national attention, actually international attention because of how how big the the Catholic denomination is, but. He's, he's not going to lose out on anything. He's going to probably get promoted and go back to headquarters and, and, you know, just continue in the cycle of what FBI SESers do. I don't know if you or I have ever talked about it. Uh, and this is kind of out of, outside the realm. This is more of into conjecture, which, which your theory is. But my theory when it comes to that intelligence uh, report that came out of Richmond was it, it was such a northern virginia washington dc centralized mindset that went into writing it and i say that because what they did actually they 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 cited being pro-life pro-traditional marriage pro second amendment and border sovereignty and those sorts of ideas that they then attached according to the memo to having a preference for the latin mass within catholicism and it, it was just kind of this weird connection to draw and that's what got me thinking of well we want to have problematic ideologies. We're going to itemize pro-life, pro-traditional marriage, et cetera, et cetera. Those are going to be the problematic beliefs. Well, it's really hard to invent an organization that we can then investigate as a terror group. It would be way easier if one already exists, right? Yeah, exactly. And so since they're already in Washington, D.C., they thought, you know what? You know who fits that bill exactly? It's the Catholics. And they, yep. they have the added benefit of all being named like, O'Callahan and O'Boyle yeah. and they have lots of kids and red hair and uh -huh. they're white and, and that'll be the perfect group. And because the people making that decision were in Richmond and not, let's say, um, Houston <laughs> or Albuquerque, where there's a whole lot of Hispanic Catholics, yeah. that thought never dawned on them that right. they couldn't just limit it to being white supremacy within the Catholic church, that there's actually a huge, enormous huge. component of it. That is a little bit darker shade of skin. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it really it, it goes to one of my favorite things to point to as being very problematic in the FBI is their hubris. That's what this is again. They completely, you know, miscalculated or probably didn't even account for the millions of Latino Catholics in this country, and whether they're here legally or not. 
there's a lot of them here. And, and I think illegal immigrants as well as legal immigrants in this country who are Catholics from our, from below our Southern border, they are just as pissed as the O'Sullivan's and the Murphy's out in Boston. And, and for that, man, dude, the FBI, well, you guys have, we've talked about this before. It's the thermal exhaust port, another star Wars reference. It certainly is. And I, I good that somebody like Josh Hawley is, is continuing to hammer it. It has to be, but it goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning with 702 with um, the headquarters getting voted in favor for when the FBI is doing something like this, why are we rewarding them with anything ever? They're targeting Catholics as terrorists because that's what that is. That's what that memo is. A, a violent extremist in the FBI parlance, that's terrorism talk. They are targeting Catholics and eventually it'll be Christians as terrorists. And, and who they are not targeting, great transition to our next one that I, I want to bring up. And this was from a different hearing. This is from uh, Chip Roy. Uh, let's listen to him. He's talking to an individual from the Department of Justice. So obviously, same arm as, as the FBI, just the uh, the prosecutorial arm of it. Uh, here's Chip Roy questioning the uh, the head of the DOJ's Civil Rights Division. Um, how many FACE Act cases have been filed uh, since it was enacted in 1994? Um, so... The Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances uh, Act is an important law. We apply it even-handedly. I don't have statistics on the number of cases since the law's would it, passage. Would it surprise you that the data I have says that it's been brought uh, 130 times since 1994? Because then my question is, is how many FACE Act cases have been filed in defense of abortion providers or in defense of pro-abortion activists versus how many FACE Act cases have been filed in defense of pro-life Americans or churches that have been uh, attacked. And I wonder if you know the data on those. Well, the divi I, I believe uh, in outreach and have been aggressively con conducting outreach to all groups so that uh, the public understands that the FACE Act applies to both pro-choice and pro-life groups. And I will flag for you, Chairman, that we uh, recently had January indictments against two Florida residents for spray painting threats on pregnancy resource, resource centers. And I certainly, I certainly can, uh, appreciate that you all did that, but I, the numbers I have are out of 130 uses of the FACE Act since 1994, 126 were for pro-abortion activists and for in defense of uh, abortion providers, and four have been for pro-life Americans and or churches. And I think that was one of them in January. I'd let you respond to that, and then I'll, I'll be, I'm, I'm out of my time. Well, I, while I can't speak to um, what happened in prior administrations, what I can assure you is that the division is committed to full and even-handed enforcement of this important federal law. Oh, I bet they are committed to yep. full and even-handed. What I can assure you of, you know, <laughs> that last bit that she was that she said, I, you, you know, I used to. I, I got to bring it back. The Ministry of Justice from 1984. That's what this is. That's what somebody who works for the Ministry of Justice says. I can assure you that we're going to work even-handedly. Oh, really? Okay. Well, then how come when I was deposed back in February, I'm going to pull this up from my Substack real quick. It's they. This is one of their big gotchas on me. Um, when or they thought they uh, they asked me questions about. Um, 
abortion and all this. And they said, when pressed by Democrats, O'Boyle said he did not know that the FBI had arrested two individuals associated with attacks on pregnancy centers set up by abortion rights opponents. But he was aware that it had offered a $25,000 reward for information regarding these pregnancy centers being vandalized. The transcript read. Okay, so there were two individuals associated with attacks. And th they just mentioned in that clip, uh, two people who spray painted graffiti. And I, I didn't know this at the time, but I wrote it in my subset. Correct. I did not know that two individuals had been arrested. Two. Two. When there has been at least 230 attacks on churches and pro-life groups in recent months. And I bet that number is far higher today because that was back in February, March, when when I wrote that, when when they leaked parts of our depositions. And it's like, okay, so you're gonna you're gonna like you know, party over, over two people being prosecuted uh, for attacking a pregnancy center or a church uh, when there are hundreds, literally hundreds of instances across the country that you can point to where nothing has been done. And then you get somebody like Merrick Garland up there who says, uh, well, it was dark outside. So we, that's why we haven't really prosecuted as many well, look, Garrett, in their defense and, and to play devil's advocate, uh, pun intended, and another movie reference, <laughs> you were unaware of two of the four. You're unaware of 50% of the arrests that they've made. That seems like a pretty substantial approaching yeah. <laughs> percentage. Yeah. Oh, but I should say, oh, sorry, I, uh, I they stripped my duty and I haven't been paying attention to, to these types of matters. 126 out of 130 were against the uh, abortion clinic uh, uh, offenders and and again another component of the face act is actual houses of worship and, and how many times did we see video footage from 2020 during the george floyd summer of love where people were actually going into church services and saying take a knee that's a right. disruption of of religious service and i can't help but think that the uh, the fbi didn't jump all over uh, prosecuting that one um yeah, I just wanted to throw that up there for people watching to see. But yeah, as of December, uh, so a year, it's been a year. That's when this 230 number of churches or pro-life groups uh, that were attacked. So that's a year ago. So man, I wonder what the new numbers are like. But of course, the civil rights group from DOJ or the FBI or the AG or you name the person, you name the bureaucrat, they're they're going to get up there and do what, what that lady just did. They're not going... They're not going to be um, verbally honest with you. It, actually, you know, they may they may have their lawyer lawyer like parlance to try to maneuver around the questions. But but you're not going to really get the truth from them about what they're doing and what they aren't doing and who they're targeting and spending more of their energy on and, and those sorts of things. But I think anybody watching this probably already knew that. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad the guys like Chip Roy and, and Josh Howley at least give us the the temporary satisfaction of watching these guys squirm. I mean, especially for that that woman there, you could see she was like a duck on a pond, like feet were just you know going like fury yeah. under the water there. She was trying to just look at that clock. Yeah. Run the time out. Run the time out. Yeah. Um. And and I think that uh, the what the best way we can close out uh, this episode uh, is is sort of in line with our experience. Another member who we dealt with. Uh, let's let's do a little bit of a palate cleanse here. We talked about some heavy stuff. We talked about some some cowardice and some religious persecution. We can talk about somebody who's definitely uh, big on the cowardice side and, and definitely big on the persecution side, um, but maybe needs to look at cleaning up his own house a little bit. And that's a friend of yours. 
friend of mine, Representative Dan Goldman. I knew it. New York. Oh, Dan. (laughs) Dan. 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 Uh, For those who did not track in this, the New York Post reported multimillionaire because he is the heir to the Levi Strauss fortune, folks, for those who don't know. He bought his congressional seat, essentially, uh, because I know he didn't earn it, despite having a, a, I think, a Stanford and a Yale education. Uh, He was not impressive. I know know Garrett had a a nice own on him. It was one of my few uh, moments that I was pretty proud of in dealing with him when he said that we were bought and paid for by Cash Patel. Um, I don't know. Did you spend your money on jet skis? That's what I spent mine on. <laughs> uh, but multimillionaire New York representative Dan Goldman owes months of rent on Tribeca pad totaling $180,000. Maybe he should hit up Cash Patel for a, uh, for a charitable yeah. donation. Uh, what, what, as we, we close it out here, uh, do you have a, a message that you could uh, leave the, the, good, the good congressman? Uh, hey, Dan. You know, for being a suspended indefinitely without pay FBI agent, I never missed or skipped paying my rent. Shame on you, Dan. You're a congressman. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's well said. I mean, look, he he probably needs some some financial advice or something. I, who knows? But when you're existing in, as an elite member of of government or at least member of society, he strikes me as definitely a high society guy. Oh, for sure. I don't think in his entire life he has ever looked at a price tag. Like if if you've taken the wife out, you know, for, for anniversary dinner, I mean, that's basically you, kids like anniversary dinner is basically the only time you're going to go out on a date with, with the, the wife. And then, you know, you got to get the, the babysitter unless you got family there. I mean, mm-hmm. it's several hundred dollars for you to take the wife to Applebee's just when you add in the fact that you have to pay the babysitter to do it. Yeah. But I'm always looking at the right-hand side of the page when I'm going to order food. Right, right. I, I, go, Dan Goldman probably goes to restaurants where it's not listed, Yeah, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I mean, these days when I go shopping for groceries, I'm looking for the yellow-labeled meat because it's it's discounted, you know? And, and hey, no shame. I get it. I'm suspended indefinitely without pay, but um, it's 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 a despicable, uh, despicable piece of information. The guy owes 180 k in rent. That's I mean, $180,000. I mean, the most you will make as an FBI agent, that is an excess of that. And that's just a couple of months. Of right, right. Not it's years. Insane. Yeah. I mean, you can buy a house and even with, even with the inflated real estate prices that are going on, you could be in the middle of the country uh, and buy a house. That's what I sold my house in Iowa for in 2021. I sold it for $180,000. And yeah. it was a three bedroom house in Northwest <laughs> Iowa. Uh, I'm not saying it was a, a palatial estate, didn't have the, you know, ivory in, in or, or marble everywhere, but had three bedrooms, and two baths, and it did just fine for us while we were there with our family. Um, and it was, it was a house that, that I liked. And that debt that he owes on some back rent could have bought my entire house. Right. And then that guy had the audacity to stand up there and ask us if we were bought and paid for by a, a Donald Trump lieutenant because a charitable organization gave us some money to get through our, our Christmas time exactly. like a yeah. year ago. It's, it's so gross. It um, is. It's disgusting. I mean, really, it reminds me of what I read in Romans 3 earlier about, about people's mouths and tongues being essentially just wicked. And it's like, that's that's what that is. That's Dan Goldman. That's, quite frankly, most politicians. They And, and in, in, in Dan's case, I mean, the guy spent $4 million of his own wealth to buy his seat at the table and then he can't fork over the 180k in rent that he owes like this is a quote-unquote leader in our country like give me a break dude
give me a break all right well that was sort of a palate cleanse it was more of a let's get the last few punches out for garrett to get his rage off so he can go back to making uh, more t-shirts yes and sweatshirts and uh, and hats and stickers folks make sure that uh, you you give his site a, a view today the dash suspendables.com you can follow garrett on social media at gob actual he's got the sub stack was always putting out some good stuff you can follow me on social at real steve friend you follow the show at AmRadPod. Uh, this is going to lock us up for today on Tuesday. We're going to be back with you on Thursday at noon and then again on Saturday. And we're going to get more into, as the week progresses, uh, on some of the things that we close it out today, the, the financial things that I th know everybody's feeling the squeeze, especially now that it's Christmas time and we're trying to look for some extra cash around. What is the actual state? But we'll have a more extended conversation about that uh, in a future episode. We thank you for your time today, for sharing uh for sharing this with show with everybody we're trying to get our, our name out there uh sponsor is very imminent folks very imminent we'll have some some good merch uh outside of just the the sweatshop because i don't know how much more garrett's gonna have to have more kids to have uh, yes. actually to, to be able to accommodate more orders <laughs> okay. um, but thanks for your time make sure you give us a like and a follow today um and and we'll see you next time let's uh listening to the voice of the suspendables on the american radicals podcast follow us on rumble.com slash am rad <laughs>